So today, we get to go through Philippians again, as we have been for a while. So we're going through Philippians 3 this morning, but as always, if you haven't had the chance to go through and listen to the other sermons in this series, uh, go back and listen when you get the chance. Uh, like, seriously, uh, it, is a, it is an extremely rich book, Philippians. I know I say that about every book that we, we talk about in church here, but it's funny about that when it comes to the Bible, it's all really good. So if you do get a chance to go back and listen, um, yeah, it's really important. Uh, Philippians is one of those books, like every other one, really crucial to our faith and really crucial to our understanding of the good news. So uh, if you have a Bible there with you, we're going to pray first, but if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up and we'll read through together, but we'll pray first, hey? Father, I just want to give you thanks for this time together. We are incredibly grateful for your, your sovereignty, Lord, the way in which you are in control of everything. Uh, we thank you, Father, for Jesus and pray, Lord, uh, today as we come to you to worship and to read through your scripture together, that you will help us to understand and you will give me the words to speak and everyone here, the hearts and the ears to understand, Lord. And we want to give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so we're going through Philippians 3, verses 1 to 11 this morning. So if you want to follow along with me, get your Bibles open, that'd be great. Uh, I know it might be up on the screen, it's definitely not, so open your phones up and your books, please. <laughs> Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Well, like I said, uh, Philippians is full on. It is a very, very rich book. And Paul... Um, he really just chucks everything in here. So he really just go, he goes hammer and tongs. And, and like, we've, like we've talked about before, this is a church actually that was not really struggling a whole lot in the sense of other, the way other churches were struggling. This is a church who was really on fire for the gospel, who was really pushing for the gospel to be preached and was going out and talking to people and spreading the word of Christ. So Paul here is just chucking it all out there and going, this, what you're doing, is awesome what you're doing, but you need to, this is this, the time of warning. Okay, because he's like, yeah, you are running that race. You are cruising. But you need to start looking out. So we're going from verse 1. 
Uh, now, Paul's stating his repetition here. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So his repetition, as we've seen with Paul, he's renowned for doing this in every letter that he writes. The repetition always. He's saying it's no issue for him. What's Paul saying? What's he repeating over and over again? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. He is constantly repeating it through this letter. Okay, and he brings it up right here. For me to say the same things to you is no trouble. Uh, (laughs) It's awesome that he does constantly repeat it because it makes it extremely plain for us to see we should rejoice in the Lord. That's very plain. There's no way around it. You can't go, oh, maybe tomorrow... Maybe today, just for a little bit, I won't rejoice in the Lord. I'm really struggling today. I've had this really horrible thing happen. I've had this happen, but no. Rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is always good. Rejoicing the Lord means that in all situations, we find our hope and we find our joy in our Lord Christ Jesus. And that we glorify Him in all that we do. Rejoicing in the Lord always. Uh, Steph and I were talking about it this morning. We were saying, what an encouraging verse. For Christians to hear, rejoice in the Lord. Like, how awesome is that? It's pretty. It's a pretty serious thing, though. Like, we take it for granted all the time when we say, yeah, yeah, rejoice in the Lord. I know, I know, I'm supposed to rejoice in the Lord. <laughs> I find so much joy in the Lord. Yay, life's great. But it's very serious. For Paul to repeat this constantly, we, we need to take this message to heart. It's been repeated constantly. What must Christians do? Rejoice in the Lord. As we go on to verse 2 here, we see, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, and look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So this is the first of the the major warnings that Paul is throwing out here. And it's a lot of big call-outs. It's important for us that we too heed this warning for today, because as we today as Christians, we've experienced that draw of things in this world being drawn to the things of this world. We'll go on to unpack that a little bit more in a minute, but I saw a podcast this week. It's called The Globe Podcast. It's, the, it's by the Gospel Coalition. Uh, and this particular podcast that came out this week was called How the Gospel Impacts Our Lives in Church Communities. Uh, a really rich podcast. I recommend you go and listen to it. Uh, four very gospel-driven women sitting down and talking together. Uh, I was actually drawn to... One quote, which I feel draws back to this verse in particular, uh, and to help us sort of deepen it a little bit, a a lady leading the podcast named Blair Lynn, she said there are two ways people choose to run from God. Some choose immorality and others choose morality. Now this is important for this warning because we see the evildoers, okay? We see, as Paul refers to, we see the dogs, We see the evildoers, they stand out a bit to us sometimes. But the really jagged term he uses here for those, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, this particular call out was going against those false teachers who chose to circumcise themselves in order to fulfil the law. Okay, as we see in the law of Moses and stuff, the men of Israel had to be circumcised. But what Paul is saying is that because of Christ, if you are choosing willingly to circumcise yourself in order to fulfill the law, all you are accomplishing is the butchering of your own flesh. 
you are doing nothing. It means nothing. Now, as we've read this, that's the morality part. I mean, we see the, the, the evildoers, you choose the immorality. Oh, let's go on a big bender. Let's go get drunk. Let's go do this and that. Okay, that's the immorality part. That one stands out. But it's the morality that you also have to be really aware of. The mutilating of the flesh. The, I can fulfill the law in my own strength. That's not possible. All you are doing is butchering the flesh. Now, we go, I'll go and unpack this a little bit. The morality path, just living as a good person. Believing that your good actions will lead to your salvation. If we just do everything right, if we just do every little thing right, God will love us. If I fulfill the law by my own strength, God will love me. If I attend church every single week, if I read my Bible like a good little Christian, God will save me. And if I mess up, oh goodness me, if I mess up, woe be the day that I mess up, because then God will cut me off and I will no longer be saved. If you're sitting there today thinking, man, Ned, you sound like an idiot. Yep. But guess what? For the rest of your life, as long as you live here on earth, you too, at some point in your life, are going to sound like an idiot. (laughs) I know that's a bit jagged, I'm sorry. But it's the truth. Believe it or not, at every moment in our walk as a Christian, we're drawn to that thinking. I know that I am. I'm going to stand here today, vulnerable and weak in front of you, ready to be ridiculed and judged. Yes, I sometimes believe I can fulfill the law. I sometimes believe that if I just go to church, you know what, that'll make me feel a little bit better about myself that week. God will show me that grace then. And then I'll deserve that grace. That's such a ridiculous train of thought to be caught up in and it's so dangerous. We've heard in our Bible studies through Philippians about pride being the ultimate killer of Christians. Feeling like we can stand before God proud of our own actions because God, look at how good I've been. Look at the moral path in which I've paved through this sinful and corrupt world you've put me in. Goodness me, I'm a good bloke. What a joke. <laughs> yes, as Christians, we are called to live a certain way. Don't get me wrong. Okay? We are called to live in a way that loves God, a way that rejoices in God. And we are even called to be Christ-like. What an insane expectation. But we need to understand that it is through the action of the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit in which God sent to us. When Christ ascended, when Christ ascended into heaven and sat at the right hand of the Father, He said to His disciples, I will send you a helper. Someone who will be with you. Someone who will rest in you. That is the Holy Spirit. Christ sent the Spirit because He knew we needed the Spirit. Without Christ, we are nothing. With Christ... He has sent us his helper, that seal, that stamp on our hearts that says, you belong to God. Why would we try and do things ourselves when we have the Holy Spirit? And we're going to go on and talk about that soon, which I'm excited about. (laughs) Uh, As we go into verse 3 and 4 together. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And put no confidence in the flesh. 
Though I myself have reason for confidence in flesh. Also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Uh, now, when Paul says we're the circumcision, it's using similar talk to that of the Old Testament. Okay? So, the Israelites in the law were called to be circumcised in order to be set apart as God's people. That was what the law required. You are to be circumcised in order to be set apart. Now, the Holy Spirit, that, the Holy Spirit, and I know this, this circumcision talk, it's, 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 it's always in the Bible. It's always a little bit awkward to be constantly talking about it, I understand, but bear with me. The Holy Spirit, when it's in our hearts, okay, the way in which it is referred to in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit circumcises the flesh from the heart. It helps to redeem the heart, to bring God's word back in. So when Paul says we are set apart, that is only through the Spirit. We worship by the Spirit of God, meaning we can't just choose to worship God. We can't. We can't choose in our own strength to go on any day when we wake up. Guess what? I'm on the right side of the bed today, God. You've gotten my favour. I'm going to worship you today. We can't do that in our own strength. The incredible thing is, like I just said, we have the Spirit of God. That's awesome. That's an encouragement. Because it is through the prompting of the Spirit that we can worship God. And the spot where it says, in glory in Christ Jesus, to help us understand a little bit better, if we go into the NIV, it says to boast in Christ Jesus. So when we say we are to worship the Father and glory in Christ Jesus. We are to worship the Father in the Spirit. And we are to boast in Christ. That's not any light statement. Boasting in Christ, as we'll go on to say, as Paul goes on to unpack more, we boast in Christ because Christ is all we have. Just got a new car, congratulations. When you die, that car is going to burn and wither away. In the next 15 years, that car is going to crumble. It's going to be not as good as the day that you had it and you're going to have to buy a new car. Just got a new TV? Congratulations. Guess what? When you die, that TV is going to die too. There's going to be nothing. It is going to burn away. I know it all sounds pretty blunt and pretty straightforward, but this is what I've been confronted with when I'm reading this passage. I'll go and unpack how uh, the material things of this world have have come to affect me and my faith, but we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. It's It's all a lot of fun. But Paul also delivers the warning to have no confidence in the flesh and goes on to express how our confidence in the flesh is completely useless. If you want to follow on with me, I encourage you, if you do have your Bible, follow along in your Bible with me. Don't just rely on me reading it to you. Uh, Oh, this is awesome. We've got it up here now. That's good. Rightio, we're going to go from verses 5 and 6, or a bit of uh, the end part of 4. I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I was talking to Derek about that verse, those couple of verses there. They're very convicting. If you want me to read them again, this is, if you read the law of, of Israel, the law of God as presented in the scriptures, what Paul presents here 
So you were to look at that as a Hebrew, as a Jew, and you were to read what Paul just wrote, you'd go, man, there's nothing wrong with that bloke. What a great man. God must love him. You see, on the circumcised on the eighth day, that was, that was tradition. On the eighth day of a boy's life, he was to be circumcised. Congratulations, Paul's measuring up. The tribe of Benjamin. Tribe of Benjamin, goodness me, a Hebrew of Hebrews. That's the law of Pharisee. Pharisees being the, those who upheld the law by the world's standards. They upheld the law. They had law upon law in order to fulfill the law. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. When you see in Acts that Paul was persecuting the church, he was more or less by the Pharisees. He was looked upon as, oh, this young man with such zeal for the church. Look at him persecuting the Christians who aimed to shut down the Pharisees. Paul, he was looked at as a hero of the faith. Granted, he's a hero of the faith now to us, but to the Pharisees back then, he was a hero because he was shutting down all that Christian talk. You know what I'm saying? And as to righteousness under the law, blameless. By every standard, Paul was completely blameless under the law of the Pharisees. That's a pretty heavy standard, isn't it? (laughs) For me, when I read it, I was saying to Derek, I was like, man, that's confronting. How confronting is it and how convicting this passage is. I mean, Paul gives a very succinct and straightforward, just in those couple of verses, of what reason he has to boast in the flesh. Now, if you can sit here in front of me today, I know that I can't. I'm standing in front of you today. I know for a fact I cannot stand here and say I measure up to any of those. But if you can sit here and put your hand up for me and show me if you measure up to even a single one of those standards, uh, I can pretty confidently say none of you can. His list is confronting in the sense, I know the fact, I can't measure up at all. But the incredible thing is what Paul goes on to say as we go on to verse 7 and 9, but whatever gain I had... I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. (laughs) That's so bold. That's a big statement. Whatever gain I had, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul's saying this, nothing, nothing in this world, nothing that you can possibly cling to has any value in comparison to the value that we have when we have Christ. Nothing that you can possibly cling to Not the church congregation, not your job, not your items, not your valuables that you own, not your family. Nothing can give you as much value in your life as knowing Jesus Christ. And if we look to Paul's standard and the fact that he can put aside that stuff there as loss, you know... 
as we've been talking through this whole thing about the Holy Spirit being with us, do you know that's the only way, the only way we as Christians will have strength in order to say, I count everything of myself as loss, everything of the flesh as completely useless. The only way we can do that is when we have the Holy Spirit in us saying, I am more. Saying Christ is more. Cast aside the flesh, cast aside the old man and cling to Christ. Nothing has as much value as knowing Christ. As we go into verse 10 and 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, Paul's saying here, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. You know what the power of Christ's resurrection is? The Spirit, the Father. That I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Man, we hear this all the time in Scripture. I myself am speaking to someone from speaking to someone from experience who reads that. That I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I read that very lightly. And that's so naive. To read sharing in the sufferings of Christ. You know what happened to Christ? You know, he was beaten as a sinless man. He was mocked, spat on, a crown of thorns tightly bound around his head. And then nails were driven through his wrists and his feet as he was pinned to a cross. Oh, let's not forget the fact that he was also lashed before that. That's a pretty, that's just the physical sufferings of Christ, by the way. You see, the sufferings inside when Christ faced the rejection of the Father, the turning away of the Father, who loved him dearly, but knew that Christ had to suffer and die for the sake of of God's people being restored. So when we read a passage like, I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, as Christians, we're called to a life of complete suffering, not to a life of cushiness where we've got all our ducks in a row. You know, we've got all, oh, we know that everyone's going okay, our kids are successful, our kids have good jobs, we have good jobs, we have a good, nice life. That means nothing to God. Paul says that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, uh, as, as you sort of read this, some have believed is Paul kind of showing a couple of, you know, cracks in his armour here? Is this a lack of trust in Paul's heart that by, oh, by any means necessary that I may attain the resurrection from the dead? 
The reason why people think he's doubting is like, well, does Paul not think that he's going to attain resurrection from the dead? But what Paul's saying, what we're seeing here, we're seeing a man who wants to serve God wholeheartedly. And he wants to be prepared by any means necessary. And in this context, Paul is talking about sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And he's saying, if that is what it takes, God, if that is what it takes for me to attain the resurrection from the dead, then by all means, God, bring on the suffering because I want to be with you. I want to be resurrected from the dead. I want to cast aside this dead body, this dying, fading away body, and I want to be resurrected and in heaven with you. By all means, bring it on. Now, this isn't light either. This is all really heavy stuff. The Holy Spirit is the only one, and I know I'm, I know I'm spirit heavy today, but we need to be. The Holy Spirit's with us. We need to understand that the Holy Spirit's in your heart for a reason. The Holy Spirit is with us because we need it. Not just because we need it on a cloudy day or we need it when we can't do enough. I was saying to Steph the other day, man, I need to be reminded that I need God's Spirit every day. Because a lot of the time, as a young bloke at the moment, which still has a bit of strength in my body, I tend to rely on my own strength a lot. I go, oh man, I can pick up heavy things. Surely I can serve the Lord. (laughs) What a joke. What a moron. (laughs) Yeah, I can pick up heavy things. I can serve the Lord in every possible way. How great am I? But the Holy Spirit is there for that exact reason. To deal with our pride. To deal with our shortcomings. To deal with our failures. The Holy Spirit is there to remind us that Christ is enough for you. You don't need anything else. Christ is enough. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can enable us to live a life like Christ. To live a life where we are called to suffer and be persecuted as Christians. We see at the moment, and I want to, I want to constantly bring this to attention, there are, there are millions of Christians in China right now. Some who have been locked up, put in jail because of their faith. Some who have been killed because of their faith. We as Australians, goodness me, I used to say... We've got it lucky here. We get to worship freely. You know, we get to meet in Bible studies and not worry about a a police car or a government vehicle driving past our house and going, wait a second, those people are, we better go in there and arrest them. But that right there, as I said earlier, that's the killer of Christians. That freedom, that's what will take us down. Not being persecuted that's when we grow comfortable. That is when we don't have that readiness. That is when we lose that willingness to suffer for Christ, when we lose that reliance on the Holy Spirit, that reliance on the Gospel. That is when we lose it, when we have everything going just hunky-dory in our life. When everything's going well in your life, you better lean on God twice as hard as when things are going really rough because being in a spot where you have the potential to rely on yourself speaking from experience you hit a point in your life when you feel like you have the ability to handle things yourself that is when you are really in danger of that second death when Christ returns and you are saying to Christ I wasn't serving you today Christ I was really trying to pick up the slack 
that you left behind by myself. It's a scary place to be, really scary. Let's let's keep going. Sorry, I'm going on a bit of a tangent here. I apologise, but we'll we'll get back on back back into it. This readiness and willingness to suffer for Christ, <laughs> for the sake of Christ, is something I, like I said I take pretty lightly. I mean, to share for myself yesterday. Upon sitting down to begin writing the sermon, I went to turn on my computer, pretty old computer, and uh, it had the yellow light of death, as the internet called it. Uh, the computer is 10 years old, and this yellow light of death, I really didn't want to believe it, so uh, let's, let's, just, let's just give you two scenarios here. I, I, want, I want to pose a question. Do you think I decided to read through Philippians 3 and build up my faith through the riches of Scripture? And then use the perfectly good laptop that you have sitting on the other desk? Or, think long and hard about this, did I allow my sin of procrastination and worship of material things of this world to take control, try to fix something that was dead in my own strength? I want you to take a while to answer this because it's a pretty difficult one. (laughs) And this is where I'm very grateful for the blessing of Steph, my wife, because God uses her in the most wonderful ways. As I was halfway through disassembling this computer, Steph walks into the office and says, aren't you meant to be working on your sermon? Now those words, no matter how hard I tried to argue or defend myself, I go, oh, but what, if I just fix this computer, then I'll start my... No matter how much, I was fixing something that was dead. In my own strength, I was sitting there going, oh man, no matter what the internet says, I don't want to believe it. No, I don't want to believe this computer's dead. There's a good laptop right there that I can turn on in two seconds and will work straight away. Oh, man. When you say it out loud, it is really pathetic. <laughs> um, but I really... I, I, I wasn't capturing the weight of the situation. I knew Steph was right. I knew Steph was right. But I really need us all to understand, we, we actually don't have the power within ourselves to choose Christ. For me yesterday, that was, I had a choice to pursue the gospel, to pursue the scriptures. What did I do? I tried to fix something that was dead, that in a month's time, or if I die, I'm not going to be using anymore anyway. What a joke. <laughs> What's going to be more important, going through the scriptures... Or fixing a ratty old computer. But when given a choice between our sin or Christ, we choose our sin every time. I will happily debate this with people all day. And have people try and justify themselves before you and say, Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. But no. Every single time when given the choice. And then what do you do? Yeah, but I I read my Bible the second I woke up the other day. Congratulations, we've just let pride seep into our hearts and we've been killed by our sin once again. That's why it is so crucial for us to pray that God will use the Holy Spirit to help draw us to Christ. Because for me in this situation, it was my sinful nature. But for some of you sitting here today, or as you listen online, there is something else that is constantly drawing your focus from the truth of Christ Jesus. And you know to the core of your being that that issue is you. 
It's not, oh yeah, but the problem is phones are just too good and the internet's great. So that's the problem these days. So if I get rid of my phone, then everything will be good again. Oh, the problem is the government. If we just get rid of the government and we all, we all just seek God, then everything will be good again. Uh, the Israelites, they only had God. What did they do? They ran from God. Do you think we're going to be any different? Absolutely not. <laughs> the Israelites didn't have the scriptures talking about Christ so openly. We do and we still choose to run. We could sit here all day and blame the world for our issues, but the problem, and this is what I love, I listen to Paul Tripp quite a bit, whether you agree with him or don't agree with him, that's up to you. Whether you like his style or you don't like his style, but there is one statement that he always says. One thing we as Christians need to understand is that the problem is us. Paul Tripp says, I have been working so hard to run a race away from myself, by the time I got to the finish line, there I was. Like, it's a joke. You can't run from yourself. You can't run from your own sin. You know who dealt with it, though? It's Jesus. Oh, man, what a freedom there is in that. Like I said, that is why it's so crucial that we, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as our helper. We're so stubborn. I know I am. To just constantly throw that aside and go, I don't need help though, God. Please, take this. I don't need the Spirit's help in this situation. I'm good enough. I can do it. But the issue is us. And we see Paul write this in Romans 7. This is to help us understand we're not alone, by the way. <laughs> we're not alone in our struggle against the flesh. Okay? Paul writes in Romans 7, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if, you do what I, if, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now I do what I do not want. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. Seems like a pretty hopeless cycle, doesn't it? It's like I agree that the law is good and that my sin is no good. I keep doing what I hate not doing what I want to do. But what does Paul go on to say? He doesn't just leave it there and he doesn't just turn around and say, now, Christians, listen, go out and do whatever you can. Go out and work your absolute butt off to make sure that God will save you at the end times. No, what does Paul say? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. What Paul is saying here is incredible. He goes on to say and to reveal to us this horrid cycle of sin. This horrid cycle of going 
I just keep doing what I hate. Always. And I constantly, I want to seek you, God. I want to seek you, God. I know that I should seek you. I know that the law calls me to seek you. I know that what Christ said, that I should love God with all my strength in my heart and my soul, and that I should love my neighbor. But God, I just don't have the strength to do it. Because I keep doing the opposite. What does God say through Paul? Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Jesus Christ has taken it all. I want to read from 1 Peter to finish off together. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you know we have a Father in heaven? It says it right there. Sacrifice His one and only Son so that you could be restored to the Father. So that when Christ comes back on that final day, that you can stand before God, blameless, with Christ as the middleman, with Christ as your mediator, and as Christ stands in front of the Father and pleads your case, saying, this one is covered by the blood of my cross. step forward into an eternity with God. This life where we are called to suffer and to be persecuted will seem like nothing but a tiny little speck in the grand scheme of the rest of our lives with God, a Father who loves us deeply and who sacrificed much so that we could be with Him. Let's pray. Father, we are incredibly grateful for your grace and mercy. We are grateful for the example that you gave us in Christ. That loving service to you, Father, that glory. We wish we every day, Lord, bring glory to you. We thank you, Father, that as Christ ascended into heaven, you sent forth the Holy Spirit to rest in our hearts that we may have a helper at all times, a guide at all times, in the good times and in the hard times. Lord, we thank you that your spirit is there with us. We pray, Lord, that in each day, as we go about our work, our parenting, our marriages, our relationships, I pray, Lord, that we will trust deeply the love that you have for us that we will trust in the scriptures that you've set before us, Lord, and that we will allow your spirit to guide us in everything that we will do, that in all that we do, Father, we may bring glory to you and to your kingdom. Father, we thank you for the love that you've shown, and I pray that as we go out today, you will constantly remind us in each moment that you are always there, that the work has been done. 
that all we must do as your children is completely trust in the saving grace of Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.